This is a Federal News Network podcast. Thrift savings plan returns for the month are out today. Participation in the federal employee version of the 401k, it's up for 2022. But the recession has been unlike anything before, and ditto for the recovery. The Federal Thrift Retirement Investment Board is watching the rebound closely, and it's getting ready to launch a new set of digital tools for TSP users. Federal News Network's Amelia Brust joins me with the latest. Amelia, let's start with how the board feels about the TSP chances with the COVID recovery, and now there's this developing situation in Ukraine. Well, at their last meeting on Wednesday, the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board and one of their fund managers, State Street Global Advisors, gave an outlook that was, I would say, cautious with a side of optimism. The recovery from the pandemic was so sharp in 2021, and the shocks to the system, like supply chain interruptions and household cash flows, could lead to more market volatility in 2022, they said. But State Street, who manages parts of the TSP's C, F, I, and S funds, said that they think the recovery this year will still be above trend. And I think what we've seen over the last several months even is the narrative has shifted that this may not be as transitory as we once thought. And in fact, there are some pressures, including things like inflation expectations, which suggests that this could be a bit more persistent than what we had hoped uh, even just a few short months ago. bit more persistent. Yeah, that sounds like not great news. And did they comment on specifically the Ukraine effect, Amelia? Yes. When the board had its meeting last week. That was about a day before the invasion had fully begun. As of now, State Street is saying that they are prepared for any outcomes, but quote, in general, military conflicts have a relatively short-term impact on markets, so they do not recommend what they call overreacting to the geopolitical situation with regard to the TSP. But for their other clients who are positioned to make portfolio changes, they do suggest adding exposure given more attractive valuations as the market has pulled back from recent highs, end quote. All right. So people have homework to do. You got to pay attention, I guess. And talk about participation in the TSP. A lot of people retiring from the government or maybe delaying their retirement since the pandemic. So what what are the trends there? Well, so far for 2022, TSP participation has been at an all-time high. It was at 94.9% for those in the FERS and 81.3% for active duty uniformed services in January. Both the amounts of money going into the fund and the size of disbursements from the fund have risen every year since 2012, but the TSP's net cash flow has also dropped since 2012. And part of that could be how much retirement habits are changing. You know, people are living and working longer and benefit systems are becoming more complex. Brendan Curran from State Street talked a little bit about what what he sees employers doing as a result. In 2010, only 36% of employers' plan sponsors wanted to retain retiree assets. That's up to 83% today. They want to retain those assets to, to drive scale within their program, keep costs low for all participants. Additionally, we see more and more plan sponsors revisiting the distribution options that are available in plan so that it's not so black and white that participants have to keep all their savings in plan or take them all all their assets out on one lump sum, instead looking at systematic and partial withdrawal technology. And he noted the idea of keeping the costs low, and one 
way of doing that. Amelia is digital means and self-service. So what are some of the modernization plans we're hearing from TSP, especially for users? The board is still working through a multi-year modernization effort called Converge. Converge is still on schedule to go live in the middle of this year with some new digital features that are similar to what you would see in normal online banking, such as a mobile app, being able to submit payments online, and being able to use a virtual assistant or a chat function to get questions answered. Program manager Tanner No said that this month they plan to do performance testing and train agencies who will be using the new payroll portal. All of the secure connection testing is nearly complete as well. We're currently at 95%. As a reminder, this is the testing for those payroll agencies that have a direct link to submit their payroll files. Just like the ISAs, our timeline to finalize this testing is by the end of this month. You may notice a theme here with a lot of things that are scheduled to be completed by the end of February. It's actually strategic and, and aligns with our plan to, to begin performance testing, and that kicks off in the beginning of March. For those payroll agencies that will be using the, the, the new payroll portal to submit the payroll files, we're finalizing the Memorandum of Understanding, or MOUs, and, and currently credentialing those users. 90% of those users have been identified uh, and, we're currently cr- and are being currently credentialed. And it's worth noting that the board also said it struggled to keep its TSB call centers fully staffed, which can make it harder for participants to manage their accounts or process transactions. So these new digital tools through the Converge program are meant to make that all a lot easier. But to summarize, it sounds as if the TSP is kind of on the case as they have been historically and know the volatilities and know what they need to do to modernize. So people should feel good about the TSP and where it's headed. That was the impression the board was given from State Street last week. Yes, that while 2021 was a bit of an anomaly, 2022 should have some volatility but start to resemble a little more normalcy. Federal News Network's Amelia Brust. Thanks so much. Thank you. Be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader and what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was a leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education. She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, we were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing. The people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while 
although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, uh, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit. And then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best. And so we now have people who work for me all over the world. And as long as we made our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five. Um, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office. Uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think a successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka. So I'm 
fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a signal effect of what other people are going to expect as Black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the, expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and oftentimes based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it, it, you were amazing. And it, it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.